I posted on Instagram this morning that preparing this sermon this week has been a bear. And different sermons and different texts of the Bible are difficult to prepare sermons for, for all different kinds of reasons, but this was one of them. The issue that the church in Corinth was dealing with, it's not an issue that we're dealing with in our church, and it's hard to even find a parallel issue. So when it comes to explaining the text and what was happening here, that's one thing that can be done. But then when it comes to applying this passage, answering that question, so what? What does this mean for us today? How does this apply to my life right now? Well, those are much more difficult questions to answer. So I'm going to ask you to be maybe even more thoughtful tonight than usual, maybe to be even more prayerful throughout this sermon than usual, and to ask the Holy Spirit to help you to understand and apply these verses that we're reading. If you find a way that this scripture jumps out and applies to your life, I'm also going to ask that you would get a hold of me. Send me a message tonight. Send me a message tomorrow. I'm curious to hear what God might reveal to you. Also, I preached a sermon last week as we concluded a series on the Holy Spirit that was important foundationally to what I'm going to say tonight. So I look out and know that many of you who are here tonight, you weren't here last week. And so I would encourage you to go and listen to that sermon if it had recorded, but it did not record. If you would like the manuscript... You can send me an email and I'll email you the manuscript back so at least you can read what we talked about last week. If something is just not making sense tonight, I might be assuming too much about what you remember from last week. So send me an email and I'll make sure I get you the manuscript. So let me catch us up because we're getting back into our study of 1 Corinthians. This is our... 40-second look at this book of 1 Corinthians as we're going a few verses at a time. We're done with our series on prayer that interrupted and our series on the Holy Spirit that interrupted, and now we're back into Paul's letter. So the Apostle Paul, he wrote this first letter of Corinthians to the Christians in the local church at Corinth. Like we are a local church in Roseville. He wrote to a local church that was in Corinth in modern day Greece. And he wrote in part to correct certain problems. One of which was factions in the church. So members in the church were splitting up into different groups and they were fighting with one another. And they were looking down 
on one another. And these divisions in that church, they became very obvious on a Sunday when the Corinthians would gather together for worship. Chapter 11, verse 18. In the first place, Paul wrote, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Apparently, when they came together, certain people with certain extraordinary gifts like prophecy and tongues and knowledge, certain people with extraordinary gifts were lifted up while others in the church were put down. So in chapters 12 through 14, Paul is addressing this problem head on. In chapter 12, Paul reminded the Corinthians that the gifts and the abilities that they had, they were from God and they were for others. And these abilities that they had, they were especially for the members of their own church family, each of which was valuable and equally important. And so while it was fine and good for the church to desire spiritual gifts, there was something way more important than desiring spiritual gifts. And at the end of chapter 12 in verse 31, Paul called it, a more excellent way. Then in chapter 13, Paul explained the more excellent way, and it is love, which is the costly effort to do what is best for the beloved. It's to do what is best for the one you love. And that was the heart of the problem in Corinth. That was at the root of all their divisions. They lacked love for one another. And so Paul wrote chapter 13 to instruct the Corinthians to use the gifts, abilities, and opportunities God had given them to love one another. Well, that brings us to chapter 14, where Paul flows now into the practical outworking of love in the public worship service as they respond to the various gifts that God was pouring out among them. And here was the specific problem in Corinth 2,000 years ago as I understand it. The gift of tongues, and we'll talk about that tonight, but the gift of tongues was misunderstood by the Corinthians. It was overemphasized and it was overused. Probably because it was misunderstood, it was overemphasized and it was overused in Corinth. And so, Paul writes this chapter to help bring clarity and balance to the Corinthians as he calls them 
to prioritize gifts and ministry that are for the common good. So that's where we're headed in chapter 14. And let's remember, as we always need to remember, that this is God's Word that we're reading. This is not just a book. This is the book. This is God's Word to us. And we need His help. We don't want to ever think that we don't need His help to understand His Word, to apply His Word. So before going any further, will you please bow your heads with me? Let's pray together. Our Father in Heaven, thank You for this beautiful night. And thank You for bringing us here to love one another and to love You, to worship You. Teach us now through Your Word Help me to preach well. Help us all to listen well. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Or open your phone to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Here's the main point of these five verses. And this is also the main point of most of the chapter, not just these five verses. But here's the main point. The gift of prophecy is more valuable than the gift of tongues as a means of building up the church. The main point of this passage is that the gift of prophecy is more valuable than the gift of tongues as a means of building up the church. And so Paul's aim in these verses is that the Corinthians would value prophecy more than tongues as a means of unifying and building up the church. And remember, that's the main issue that Paul is addressing. Let me give you the outline that I'll be using tonight. There's going to be three parts to this sermon. And they are number one, the priority of prophecy. That's in verse one. Next is the superiority of prophecy. That's verses two and three. And third, the point of prophecy. That's verses four and five. The priority, the superiority, and the point of prophecy. Now before getting into the text, I think one more thing I should do is explain the presuppositions that I take into this passage. The gifts that are in focus here are prophecy and tongues, of which... There is a lot of confusion in the church and there's just a lot of disagreement in the church today, which is a good and fine thing, by the way. But I'd like to summarize again some of and more of what I said last week, my understanding of what these gifts are, 
And let me begin with prophecy. Prophecy is a message from God communicated to and through a man or a woman. So it is authoritative, Scripture-level speaking. A message that comes from God to and through a speaker. We have prophets in the Old Testament of the Bible. And we have prophets in the New Testament of the Bible. And they were all mouthpieces. They were mouthpieces of God who received and passed on revelation. So here it is described in the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me, this is Jeremiah writing, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Jeremiah said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth. For to all whom I, I will send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Then the Lord put out his hand, and he touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Prophecy is a message from God, communicated to and through a man. God said almost the same thing to the reluctant prophet Moses in Exodus 4.12. God said to Moses, Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. This is authoritative speaking. This is Scripture-level speaking. Now as well, we find prophets in the New Testament. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That is, you are members of the church. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now, the order of things is very important in the Bible. So the fact that prophets are listed second indicates that these are New Testament prophets. If he was referring to Old Testament prophets, it would be the prophets and the apostles. So these are New Testament prophets. So then we might ask, well, how were these New Testament prophets foundational to the church? And Paul says in the next chapter, chapter 3, verse 5, the mystery of Christ, which is another word or phrase for the gospel, the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, 
as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. In other words, the gospel was made known in a unique way to the apostles and these New Testament prophets for them to pass on, which is exactly what they did. So Peter wrote about prophecy in 2 Peter 1.21. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So that is my understanding of prophecy. There are other views out there and there are other views right here. There's other views even among our church. Some believe that prophecy in the New Testament was very different from prophecy in the Old Testament and that it continues on today. I believe, again, that prophecy is a message from God communicated to and through a man that it is authoritative scripture level speaking. Now what about tongues? Tongues is, now get this, many of you already understand what the gift of tongues was and is, but listen to what the gift of tongues is. Tongues is the ability to, listen how similar this is to prophecy, it is the ability to speak forth a message from God in a known language that is unlearned by the speaker. Wow. It is the ability to speak this message from God in a language that you don't know, that you have never learned. You can imagine if people were doing this. You can imagine if I was doing this. You would want to hear what I had to say. You would hang on every word that I said. Now this gift showed up for the first time, do you remember? In Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. Listen to this. This is in chapter 2 of Acts. They, this is the disciples, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. And why were all these people bewildered? Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So according to Luke, that's what these tongues were. They were known languages that these disciples didn't know, but their hearers did. Verse 7 of chapter 2. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear 
each of us in his own native language. And that gift of tongues did exactly what that gift of tongues was meant to do, and that was to proclaim the gospel in these other languages and to be a sign and wonder that got the attention of all those who were listening. These men clearly are speaking from God. So you keep reading, reading the book of Acts. Tongue shows up two more times in chapter 10, in chapter 19, and Luke uses the same word to describe it, just tongues. It was the same gift because it served as a sign to show that the gospel, just like Jesus said back in chapter 1, verse 8, that the gospel was not just for these Jews in Jerusalem, but that it was going to go forth to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so guess what happens in chapter 10 and chapter 19 as the gospel breaks through and out of Jerusalem? This same sign of tongue so that the apostles knew this gospel is not just for the Jews. They received the same gift we did. So three times tongues in the book of Acts, and that's it. And then out of 21 New Testament epistles, tongue appears in only one letter, and it's the one we're studying, 1 Corinthians. And Paul, who writes this, who was a very close traveling companion to Luke, he uses this word tongues in the same exact way to describe this speaking of known languages by the speaker who had not learned those languages. Now, there are other views out there. And there are other views right here. And it is good, I said this last week, because it wasn't recorded, I'll repeat it again. By the way, that wasn't a mistake somebody made, it was just a, the equipment malfunction. I didn't want to blame anybody. But let me say this again. It is so good for us to have disagreement as Christians. Many of us don't know how to disagree with anybody anymore. We just sort of blast opinions past each other. Now when it comes to the gospel, there is no room for disagreement. But when it comes to so much else, let us disagree and reason with one another. First of all, I might be wrong. And so it is good for me to hear other perspectives about what God's word may mean. And it sharpens me. It either convinces me that I'm right in my understanding, or it makes me think twice, three, and four times about something. As well, when we disagree, it's always an opportunity to do something that does not come natural. And that is to love one another across our disagreements. And we need so much more of that. So it is good that there is disagreement. All that said, I believe that this is what the scriptures clearly teach regarding tongues. It was a known language, so it was not an unknown, unknown private prayer language, which some believe. Rather, they were known languages, and they were spoken so that 
the gospel could go forth in other languages and those speaking, their message could be validated by these signs and wonders. Now, final presupposition. I know we're taking a lot of time here, but this is foundational for the rest of the chapter. So it's good for the sermons that are to come. Let me repeat what I said regarding whether or not these gifts are still active today. If that's not already clear, I believe they are not. Prophecy and tongues were revelatory gifts that were poured out during the apostolic age while the scriptures were being written. The canon of scripture was not yet complete, so prophecy was still necessary as well as the sign of tongues, which proved this message was from God for whoever received and understood it. And so passages like 2 Corinthians 12.12 12 and Acts 2.43 and Acts 8.6 and Hebrews 2.3 talk about these signs and wonders and various miracles that were done in the age of these apostles and prophets. So today, there is no longer a need for this prophecy, and therefore no need for the sign of tongues. Scripture is sufficient. It's true what Bob Gonzalez, who has preached here several times, has written on the subject. Until Christ returns, all divinely authoritative special revelation has been completed. God has said everything He needs to say for the salvation of sinners and for the good of the church, so no new revelations until Christ returns. So with all that, let's now move through the verses before us, beginning in verse 1. Let's look at the priority, the superiority, and the point of prophecy. Let me encourage you, this is not a typical balanced sermon where, you know, like the first five minutes are the introduction and presuppositions and then there's still 40 minutes to go. This was heavy on all those presuppositions, so it will still be light out when we're done. Number one. The priority of prophecy. Look at verse 1. Pursue love. Remember, that's the root of the Corinthian problem. So Paul says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Which is basically the same thing. He said, look back at chapter 12, verse 31. Earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. And that way was love. So pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. In other words, prioritize prophecy. Paul is, at this church in Corinth, promoting prophecy and we'll see He's going to demote tongues. He's advocating prophecy 
over tongues. And now in verses 2 and 3, he tells us why. Number two, the superiority of prophecy. For, verse 2 begins with the word for. Prioritize prophecy because, or for, one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Here's the problem, Paul says. No one understands what this person in their worship service, no one understands what this person is saying. Either because it was gibberish because of their misunderstanding of this gift or because there was no required interpreter, which we'll read about later. So it ended up not being good for anybody. And remember, the whole horizontal point of these spiritual gifts is edification. It is to build up others. It is to be good for others. Chapter 12, verse 7, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Verse 3, On the other hand, the one who prophesies, here it is, Here is the superiority of prophecy. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Prophecy is special revelation from God. It was an authoritative message from God, and it is for our good. It is for our upbuilding. The same word is used in the Bible to describe the foundation of a building. So it is good for building up Christians. It is good for encouragement. That is, it gives God's people courage. It is good for consolation. In other words, it gives God's people comfort. So he's saying prophecy, it is superior to tongues, and this is why. And now in verses 4 and 5, Paul comes out very clearly with the very point of prophecy. So number three now, The point of prophecy. Verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Verse 5. Now I want you all to speak in tongues. Now what does he mean? Well, he's been kind of hard on tongues, hasn't he? So he's balancing it here. He's not saying that it's useless, of course. He's going to go on and say good things about tongues. So he says, I want you to all speak in tongues. That's hyperbole. 
He doesn't literally mean he wants everybody in the church to speak in tongues. It's like in chapter 7, verse 7, when he says he wants everyone to be single like he is. He didn't really mean he wants everyone to be single. He was balancing and saying it is a good thing. Tongues is a good thing, he says, but even more. There it is again, prioritizing. But even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless... Unless someone interprets, that is the key, we'll understand that more in weeks to come, so that the church may be built up. I mean, if someone can interpret the tongues, then they're interpreting the prophecy, and then, of course, it is for people's common good. But what was going on in Corinth? where it was speaking gibberish or speaking in these languages that were not known to these people? that were not being interpreted, Paul is saying, enough of that. I know it's wild. I know it's crazy. I know it's cool. I know it's impressive. I know it's getting your attention. But what you need to be valuing more and prioritizing is prophecy. God has a message that is going to come to these men and to these people. The tongues, unlike prophecy, they were unintelligible. So they were useless for the building up of the church. So what is Paul's point regarding prophecy? Why should it be prioritized? Why is it superior? Because it builds up the church. So generally speaking, Paul says, prioritize what builds up the church. Specifically, in your public worship service, Corinthians, Veritas, prioritize what builds up the church. And that starts to get us into this application. In conclusion, how does this apply to us today? And let me quickly suggest two ways. We're reminded by Paul why it is that we gather on Sundays. Nothing has changed in that regard. Paul wrote this letter probably around the year 55. That was a long time ago. But God has given us no new information since then saying that anything is different about why we gather together as the church. I've always found that extraordinary. That, that what we're doing right here tonight is what Christians have been doing on the same day even for 2,000 years. And we're reminded here that when we come together to worship, we are here for the glory of God 
And we are here for the good of His people. We are here, obviously, to worship and to praise God. Now, you do that individually also throughout the week. You do that when you read your Bible. You do that when you pray. You do that when you sing. You do that when you walk with God throughout the week. You're worshiping Him. But this is special. We come together as a family and we worship Him together because He loves to hear the collective praises of His people. But we also come to worship God together, to be together, to encourage and to edify and to build up one another. So we gather. Here are the two things. Number one, to hear the word of God. That's the point Paul was making to the Corinthians. Prioritize this gift that gets you the word of God. Now it is true according to what I believe that there is no new revelation that is coming down from God. But we are not without revelation. It is true, as far as my understanding, that there is no new prophecy, no new authoritative messages coming down from God. But we are not without prophecy. We are not without God's words. And so this text, it helps remind me, it helps remind us of the priority of the proclamation of God's word. You could answer this. What is the equivalent today to prophecy in that church at Corinth? And it is the preaching of God's word. In fact, the Puritans and even John MacArthur today, their definition of prophecy would be preaching. It is speaking forth God's word. So the faithful communication. Like if you're here and you're visiting and you're looking for a church, I would always tell you that this is the most important thing to look for in a church. Not if they got the kind of coffee you like, not how hospitable they are when you came in the door, not how many ministries they are that you can volunteer in, not that they don't have a good youth ministry for your high school students or a children's ministry for your children, not that the music is in a style that you prefer. There's a place for all of those things. But the most important thing when you are looking for a church is that you find a church that faithfully preaches the word of God. If the word of God is faithfully preached, everything else will fall into place. So the faithful communication of God's word, of his truth, we know, we learn, it ought to be prioritized in our worship together. And this will even help guard us against division like there was in Corinth. And finally, number two, we gather to hear the word of God and also, I alluded to it, to minister to one another. 
Our service is for the glory of God and the good of his people. Remember, when it comes to your gifts and abilities, they're not for you. When it comes to your gifts and abilities and the church, your gifts and abilities, they are for other people. What kind of mindset do you bring to a church gathering? Is your mindset this? All these people are here for me. Or that person is here for me. Or those people are for me. Or is your mindset, I am here for them? Is your mindset, you are not here for me, but I am here for you? I'm not here to get from you. This should be our mindset. But I am here to give to you. What happens in the church when more and more of us think like that? Horizontally, this is for our edification. That means it is for our growth that we would know that we would understand that we would love God. As we prepare to take communion together in response to these words, let me remind you of what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 and following. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you're here tonight and you're visiting and this is the first time that you're here while we're taking communion, you are welcome to take communion with us if you are a baptized believer, you've turned from your sin and placed your faith in Christ, and you are committed to a local church, whether it is this or another one, that faithfully preaches the gospel. After I pray, if you want to receive communion, would you please stand where you are? And then we have leaders who will come and serve you. We'll do our best to put the cup in your open hand. And then if you could sit down after we serve you so that we know who served and then wait and we'll take communion together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity we have now to respond to the truth of your word. Thank you for these reminders that your word and your truth should be prioritized in our service and in our hearts. We pray that you would take this truth and take this word and this good news that Jesus came, lived, suffered, and died and rose from the dead in our place 
so that we could be reconciled to you. May that be the truth we respond to now as we remember, proclaim, and celebrate this truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.